The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. We are ready for action today in our super fantastic episode of Awesome. That was a new intro for us. Yeah, it felt really fast-paced. I thought we were going to have to do everything at that speed. We'd probably have the episode done in like 20 minutes. I mean, that's probably not a bad thing. That This is true. <laughs> um, let's see. If, if we still feel the feels, maybe we'll, we'll fall back into it. Um, so, today, uh, we have a brilliant, awesome, epic, whatever you want to call it, episode for you guys. Uh, we're going to be covering our fourth section of blood rights um which is going to be uh superb got some really really good bits in there for you but first uh we have our para networking section uh this is a section of the show where we talk about all things dresden files uh anything going on in the world of big jb himself um and as with all of 2021 JB is silent. So, um, we have been mining away at the Dresden Files Reddit and just discussing uh, between the two of us and our other kind of Dresden heads uh, on our Discord, getting our Discord uh, through Patreon. Um, We've been working out some questions uh, and debates for me and Rob to have on the show. Uh, So, today's uh, discussion is one I think Rob is going to enjoy particularly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, so I was putting together the notes for today's episode and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in just to see what Rob comes out with. Cause I think it's going to be good. So, um, obviously, uh, we've had a Dresden Files TV series, but, uh, it got canceled and just kind of didn't, go where uh, everyone kind of wanted it to go. Uh, So we're kind of waiting on a a possible new Dresden Files uh, series or even movie. Uh, There's, I feel like every other month there's kind of some rumor floating around that it's being looked into for this streaming service or television company or whatever. Um, And obviously part of that would be having a kick-ass soundtrack. Um, so the question today would be, which band would we like to see do the soundtrack for a Dresden Files movie or TV series? Um, so I think there's kind of two parts to this question, because it's like, what sort of vibe do we get off Dresden Files in general? Uh, like music vibe sort of thing. And then what band do we feel could cover that in the most dresden way possible? Um... Yeah, Rob, I'm going to kick it over to you. I have so many answers, but I'm going to only do a few. Um, I suppose straight off the bat, I would want like uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to do the score. And that's purely because I'm going for a Nine Inch Nails phase again. And also, their work on the Watchmen TV series, Gone Girl, The Social Network, 
and I think they did the score for Soul, the Pixar film that came out uh, around Christmas. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like all of them, everything they've done, it's just ambient noises and all this kind of stuff. But it always suits the kind of mood, I guess. And I think they'd be oh. ideal for Dresden Files. I can kind of get behind that. Um, I I can't really remember the music in Gone Girl, uh, but I definitely remember the music in Soul being good. Um, it always had like a good, yeah, had a good feeling to it. Um, yeah, I can get behind that. Um, nice. Do you have another pick? Um, yeah, I mean, my other pick was going to be like David Bowie for obvious reasons. I'm having a bit of a David Bowie phase as well, but. He's dead. Um, so I guess I don't know. I I I would like kind kind of like because loads of different rock songs and bands are like name dropped throughout the series, and it's very. I don't, I I can't remember if you're a fan of Supernatural, but how they have like classic rock songs like you used very well throughout the episodes. Normally on stuff like the previously on, last time on. Um, mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. I think that would be a good use as well. I okay. mean, obviously, you've got to have "Welcome to the Jungle" in there somewhere. <laughs> You're gonna die. I've just realised that 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 kind of um, Axel Rose vocal is very similar to Futurama Roberto. Oh shit. <laughs> I Welcome can, yeah. to the jungle! Ha! 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, cool. So, I guess, what sort of vibe do you reckon I, I, you'd want for a Dresden Files series? I don't know, like, um, I think a very good example for me is, do you remember, I should I say, do you remember? I have no idea if we've ever talked about it, but the game, shit, uh, Telltale game, um, Wolf Among Us. Yes. Like. I know. Well. Sweet. Like the music for that was really good, which I think again was kind of sit dark industrial kind of synthy. Yeah, I can get behind that. I think that that works quite well for like modern fantasy realism. Yeah, I mean, give, given the Wolf Among Us like has that kind of noir feel as well, you're playing a detective. It, I feel, it sits quite nicely as well alongside Dresden. I think the Wolf Among Us has a very similar sort of feel, uh, which I didn't really get from Fables. As a yeah, I've, I've read. I, I say I've read. I've I started reading Fables. I think. In second year, because I think I think Jess was reading them at the time, mm. but yeah. I never really got into it. Hmm. It's um. Yeah, it always seemed better as a concept. Uh, for those that don't know, Fables is a comic book series that then was adapted into the Telltale game The Wolf Among Us. Um, it's basically if all kind of classic fairy tale stories like Snow White, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the Three Little Pigs, uh, all real and lived in a in a place like a fairyland, and then had to migrate to uh, New York City sometime in the eighties, I think. 
um, and they all have to kind of integrate into society. It's it's interesting. Um, and uh, Bigby Wolf, who is the big bad wolf from the Three Little Pigs, is the kind of police officer slash detective that has to kind of keep everything going. Um, yeah. Uh, so the Wolf Among Us uh, actually serves as a, as a prequel to uh, the main Fables story. So if you've enjoyed the Wolf Among Us, you may also enjoy Fables. Um, yeah. Uh, so for me, um, I, I I can't get away from the fact that Dresden Files is Chicago-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that that's got something. Chicago has a very like particular style of like blues and bluesy rock to it. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I'd, I'd want to tap into that. Um, I I I'm not as big up on bands as you are, um, hmm. but like um, is it? Gary Clark Jr. that did the cover of Come Together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Justice League. Like, that sort of style of, like, rocky... Kind of like kind of uh, rock. Jack White solo stuff and the Dead Weather on that Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Jack White would be interesting, actually. Um, just in general for it. Um, I mean, I could also see, like... Um, some some like major rock star like uh, Josh Harm or like Dave Grohl or something doing like a bluesy set mm. um, for it would be pretty cool. Um, it'd be really cool to get some like native Chicagoan band uh, and just kind of have a feel like of this is like the sort of stuff that you'd always kind of get around this area. Um, yeah. But then I also do like the kind of synthy idea. Um, I think if I was going to go in a completely different direction um, for a film, I could maybe see something. Um, I could I could see a film going either heavily into the noir, and then you'd be going with like jazzy sort of uh, very like uh, slow melodious stuff. Um, or you could go more into like typical action fare, um, and go with like your um, Alan Silvestri. I think did like the Avengers stuff, and go something like that. And very like big and larger than life. Uh, yeah. Could be fun for like beach talks and battlegrounds because uh, it had that sort of atmosphere. Um, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, um, and then. Um, the the other thing that it made me think of was, did you ever watch the Luke Cage TV series on Netflix? Weirdly, I, I was just thinking about that. Where they had the, like, the bar where there was different acts on. Yeah. Um, so, I was thinking that you could do something similar with Max. That'd be pretty cool, because weirdly enough, I think Gary Clark Jr. was in uh, Luke Cage. Doing a set at a club. I think he was, yeah. Uh, and the way that they did it was like they had like a like live acts during other big scenes and stuff. So all the music was diegetic, so it was like in the actual show, not just non-diegetic, like being played over the top. Yeah. Um, 
something like that would be interesting. It would it would could be like a, a fun way and, and you could kind of make it like a, a showcase of like Chicago bands uh at Max Pub. Um could be quite fun. That'd be cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts, I guess. Um yeah. So I, I think that's about it really. Uh but I I could see it going in so many different directions. Um I mean you could probably do more like an uh, of an electro vibe or something, um, especially with like um, some of the like the vampire stuff and things. Like I could imagine it being in like clubs and stuff, and you could have very like heavy bassline beats and stuff. Um, I could also see like uh, a bit like John Wick sort of music. Yeah. Um, is it Kel Kelvio? I think so. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but I know who you mean. Yeah, where it's like, um, that that would not be good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just keep thinking of we haven't talked about Peach for a little while on here. I just keep thinking of Jeremy when he's talking to the Chemical Brothers. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah um, something like that could be cool especially like the action sequences you'd need something a bit faster um, yeah uh, I could see it going in, in a lot of different directions um, but overall I like the idea of featuring Chicagoan uh, acts uh, in it and giving it that kind of authentic flavour Um but we'd love to hear from from you guys and and what you guys would want in a Dresden Files TV series or movie. Um, even if there's a song that you'd want as like a title credit song, actually that's probably a good question, Rob. Is there any song that you can think of that'd be good for a title credit song? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I should have prepared more for that question. Really, I think <laughs> going kind of off the top of my head a bit, I think. Maybe something. I know, either like some old school Chicago blues kind of stuff, or yeah. if you want to name original series. Yeah, if you want to name an artist, not not specifically Chicago related, then I'm thinking like someone like Chris Christopherson, or um, fuck, my mind's just gone blank. Uh. Like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Leonard Cohen, that kind of stuff. That kind of spoken word kind of stuff, but it's all kind of ugh, really dark and serious music, I guess. Yeah. I could see um, like something from like the Black Keys or the Heavy. Yeah. Um, that sort of like... And, and I guess more recently, um, Royal Blood. Like oof. I could see, like like Royal Blood doing something for them would be oof, good stuff. Just some just uh, really filthy riffs. Oh, you know it. Um, <laughs> if you haven't listened to Typhoon by Royal Blood, though, I'm pretty sure everyone has by now. Uh, it is, it is good stuff. <laughs> um, musical prime rib. Yum 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 the other one that I was thinking was, is it Tom Waits who did The Wire? Yeah, he did um, um, 
uh, I think the song was called Way Down, Down in a Hole. And they get, like, each yeah. season they have a different artist do it. It was Tom Waits in season two, I think. But maybe something similar to that, where e- each season it's a different artist performing it in a different style. That would be that would be interesting, because especially if they followed the books. Like, I think we've talked about it before, but the books have different feels sometimes. Yeah. Especially, like, fairy courts versus vampires versus like normal detective work versus like epic stuff um you could do that really well where it like evolved and changed um maybe we've just come up with with an answer anyway we'd like to hear what you think so if you want to uh get on our discord uh you can join the para network uh through our patreon uh, the link will be in the description, as always. Uh, and for less than a cup of coffee, uh, you can uh, be in the Discord talking to myself and Rob and asking all your Dresden Files questions. We have a really good time on there, share uh, memes, just chat uh, about all sorts of uh, Dresden-y bits and pieces. Um, yeah, just just generally get our nerd on. Um Fab. All right. Well, I think that takes us over to the Dresden Files book club. Um, this, of course, is mine and Rob's attempt to ramble through the entirety of the Dresden Files series, including every short story, comic book, uh, microfiction, uh, full uh, full novels, um, video games, uh, board games, RPGs, and everything in between uh to piece together the genius that is jim butcher himself uh we are now on our sixth book blood rights um i like that uh cool. which is um uh yeah sixth book in the series and we are uh in, on our fourth episode, talking about blood rights, uh, as always, we will start uh, with myself going over last time on the Dresden Files, uh, and then we will follow up with Rob going on with this time on the Dresden Files, uh, and then end with a little wrap up, uh, go over some talking points. We've got some great ones today that I'm really looking forward to, um, and yeah, that's that's how we get down. Uh, so. Last time on the Dresden Files, we had chapter nine um, after uh, uh, the unfortunate attempted murder on the pawn set. Uh, everyone leaves, uh, and Harry tries to work out what is happening and what the kind of general uh, plot going down around him is. He thinks it must be someone with a powerful emotional motive. Harry arrives at his office and feels a gun against the back of his neck. He is told to go in and sit down. Harry sits down in his office and has to put a bag over his head. He feels some magic um, close around him, and then takes off the bag to find himself inside a magic circle with Kincaid, the assassin bodyguard of the archive, on the other side of it. Kincaid makes it clear he doesn't trust Harry, but is happy to do a job with him. Kincaid mentions that if he ever had to kill Harry, he would hit him with a high-powered sniper round at a thousand yards. Harry commits to hiring Kincaid, who says that he will kill Harry if Harry can't pay him. 
That takes us to chapter 11. Harry tries to learn more about Arturo Genosa, uh, the producer and director of the porn movie uh, that Harry has been hired to protect, I suppose. Um, however, without the internet uh, or any access to it, because Harry's a wizard and will fry out any, electro- uh, any electronic kind of devices like that, uh, he is unable to access most of the information he needs. Uh, he decides to go to Murphy, uh, talks to Stallings, and finds out that Murphy uh, is worked up uh, because her sister is getting married and her mum has invited both his, her sister and her new her husband-to-be to the family gathering that she is attending later in the week. Um, Harry and Murphy talk. Murphy agrees to join Harry's vamp hit squad if he can try to get her out of the family gathering. Uh, Harry gives a little speech about what it's like to not have a family, which softens Murphy up. He's like, oh, geez, I wish that I had a family gathering to be upset about. That would be swell. Um... (laughs) That takes us to chapter 12. Uh, Harry returns to the porn set and meets Inari, uh, a younger woman uh, uh, who Harry gives Mouse to to look after. Uh, Inari seems to be like, Harry's like the, the production assistant to the producer, and Inari's like the production assistant's assistant, basically. Um, Harry talks to Arturo Genosa and learns that he must finish his film in 48 hours or go bust, as he is trying to wait, uh, break away from the porn industry and the Titanic Silverlight, famed for their fake boobs and sex scenes. Um, as they are having this discussion, two women storm into the office, uh, Trixie Vixen, Arturo's third wife, and the star of this uh, porn shoot, as well as her nemesis, Lara Wraith, uh, who is going by the name of Lara Romani here. Um, and that takes us to this time on Dresden Files. Over to you, Rob. Fan-fucking-tastic. Oh, chapter 13 kicks off with Harry contacting Murphy, and He's trying to find out, I guess, as much background detail on Otoro as possible. Um, and aside from the alimony that he pays his three ex-wives, I should say, all his money is tied into the studio and, I guess, his films. Um, it, it's quite an interesting segment here. I say interesting because it's just kind of weird, but... It turns out that Arturo's method of making... I can't believe I'm saying this on a, as in a serious context. But Arturo's way of making pornographic films is by making it as realistic as possible. Like, he, he doesn't cast people based on their looks, appearances, or anything like that. He casts them based on their, I guess, ability and their chemistry with whoever else is cast. Um... I mean, it's getting weird and it's like completely frazzled my brain now. But <laughs> I, I was about to go into like some deep rabbit hole related to porn and the porn myth and all this kind of stuff. It's all weird and controversial, and I remember this is a fictional book. So, yeah, but that's Arturo's way of doing things. Um, and while Harry is on the phone, it's quite a short chapter as well. Someone comes into the office 
with an attempt to kill him with a poisoned blow dart gun. And, I mean, Harry manages to spot this in the nick of time, dodging the dart. And whoever shot the dart at him, like, returns, not returns, makes a quick escape. And then we roll over mm. into chapter 14, baby. You see, that was a short chapter. It was. Yeah. Um, Harry returns to the shoot, and he's he's trying to help out you know, wherever he can all over the place. Um, he comes across, like, a scrapbook of Genosis' ex-wives, who have very interesting names, and, like, Elizabeth Guns, Raven Velvet, and Trixie Vixen. And I know, like, I, I was I, I was a bit dis... Like, I love the names, but at the same time, I was a tiny bit disappointed by them. Um, but, I mean, we'll save that for the actual discussion in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. Harry goes on set, and again, he's helping Joan, and she's complaining about Trixie Vixen being, like, a total diva and all this kind of shit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, where is it? Sorry, I've just lost my place in the notes. It's okay. There we go, I've got my glasses uh, on now, so I can actually see as well. Um, that does help. Yeah, it, it really does. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, where um, uh, Harry f- uh, spots the shadowy figure on set. Yeah, there's a shadowy figure lurking around on set, and ha- Harry chases them down, only to realise that it's none other than our favourite vampire friend, Thomas Wraith. Down <sighs> straight. Yeah. Um, I've missed out a lot of detail in the notes there, but I apologise. But Harry, Harry manages to like wrestle Thomas to the ground, like, without realising that it's, um, Thomas. Um, and Harry also confronts him over not telling him the whole truth behind what's going on. Um, and at this point, Lara intervenes with two guns pointed at Harry. And as we roll into chapter 15, Lara interrogates Harry at gunpoint. And it turns, this whole thing starts with her protecting Thomas, I suppose. And Harry learns that Lara is uh, Thomas's older sister. Um, And amongst the commotion, she also opens fire at Harry, like a warning shot at Harry, which, like, kind of grazes his ear. And, I mean, she's that cool. Yeah, it's just vampire awesomeness, isn't it? Um, Yeah, she decides that she's. She wants to kill Harry. She's going to kill Harry. And you have Thomas kind of talking her out of it. Um, yeah, L- Lara and Thomas go on to reveal that there is dissent among the White Court. Lord Rafe is trying to kill Thomas, but he can't manipulate him like he can his uh, other children. Coincidentally, they're all female. Um, but, I mean, we kind of... Again, we'll get into this in a bit more detail in the notes. We kind of have the impression from past books that Thomas's father isn't a big fan of him based on some of the situations, or based on the situations Thomas is in every time we meet him, really. Um, Certainly. Yeah, so this is all going on, and it, like Thomas reveals that Harry's here because he brought him into this trying to get his help and yeah i mean lara's not buying a bit of it and she turns to like 
fire at him and Thomas starts drawing her fire. He draws her fire a bit too well and he takes a few shots to the chest. Who would have thought of thunk it? Um, man, vampires are savage. Uh, Harry manages to survive, obviously, by using his shield bracelet um, and he manages to get Lara to back off using some of his magic. Um, and as he's trying to get Thomas clear, they bump into Inari. In- in- Inari? Have I jumped ahead a bit? Inari? No, that's right. Yeah, and Harry almost shoots her as well. It's it's not fun. And yeah, chapter 16 is kind of continuing on from this. Inari finds them, and it it's revealed that she's also Thomas's younger sister, but because she's underage, I guess, she has like no clue of the uh, magical world, or even the whole white court vampire situation is my understanding. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, I've, I remember, like... Uh, I, I, we'll talk about it in a minute. I, I keep trying to jump ahead to kind of discuss things. But, um... Yeah, Thomas is uh, gravely wounded from these wounds, and Inari's just freaking the fuck out. And then, like, out of nowhere, the fucking black core vampires appear, three of them at that. One of them is the vampire we met earlier as well. Um, I can't remember how to describe them apart from they took a few holy water balloons to the face. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and then Lara appears as well, and Dresden starts to feel the entropy curse building up again. And I guess that's where we wrap up these chapters with a bit of a Mexican standoff of sorts. Gun straight. It is a uh, it's a wild ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'm always pleased by like how most of the time we end on a certain chapter, it's always at like a massive cliffhanger. I mean, that that's just the way that Jim Butcher rolls as well. Like most chapters, just drag you kicking and screaming into the next chapter with these huge plot hooks. You said, um, it, baby. So the uh, these new chapters, man, do we have a lot to talk about here? So we've got um, the uh, we've got the conversation between Harry and Murphy about uh, realistic sex versus fake sex in the porn industry, um, and I, I think that this is a, this is a really interesting conversation because Harry has a very immature attitude when it comes to sex. Yeah, like, um, it's, I mean, kind of jumping back to the previous episode, we were discussing his chivalry again. Um, yeah. And it it was interesting here as well that certain words, I guess, he doesn't like saying in front of women, but he starts talking about, uh, like, fake breast, breast implants and that kind of thing. And just the narration made me chuckle because he's like, oh, yeah, and fake, I paused at this because... There are some words I don't like to say in front of ladies. It's just not right. And yeah, he's he's alluding to like fake breast and breast implants and stuff like that. And then Murph is just like, do you do you mean boobs, tits, yeah. breasts, fingers, uh, jugs? <laughs> <laughs> um, and like it's just it's making Harry like feel more and more uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And that's, it's really interesting, like, um, 
I, I think it actually shows a lot about the character of Dresden that um, he finds this really hard to, to deal with and talk yeah. about. It kind of shows an immaturity to him and a, a lack of understanding of like, I don't know, like, yeah, sexuality and sex and stuff. And, and this also comes up a few times um with like LGBT characters in the Dresden Files series, like again, other characters are very liberal about it. But, yeah. Um, uh, Harry himself can sometimes act a bit strangely, uh, and I think that this this is again like this guy is uh, has the sensibilities of a much more in some ways older but also like more immature uh person um it's very it's very strange kind of a a more conservative mindset i guess um yeah uh so i i found that scene really really interesting and it also shows uh maybe a bit of the difference between harry and murphy um if you want to get into like the uh the will they won't they of harry and murphy which is something that I think starts to build here uh, yeah. in this book. Um, uh, this shows the difference between where Harry is and where Murphy is. Murphy is very comfortable in her sexuality and in, in uh, herself, uh, her understanding of men and women. Uh, and Harry is more immature, more... Uh, unsure about where about the world i guess and how how to deal with women and he very much has this kind of uh tv show fictional view of how to deal with women in these sort of situations um which is really interesting i think um so yeah uh that's uh that's really it when it comes to uh to harry um the blowgun section uh is kind of over before it begins really it's only like a paragraph um and it just seems to me like a really weird choice of weapon yeah i completely agree but <laughs> um and i i mean we've already read most of of the book and i'm not sure we ever really find out who fired the blowgun i've got a good idea uh, and and if it was the person I'm thinking of, it just again seems a really weird choice for them. But there you go. Um, so uh, that then takes us to chapter fourteen, and we get uh, Genosa's ex-wives. And oh my god, I know that Jim Butcher had some fun picking out some porn <laughs> names there. Uh, Elizabeth Guns, Raven Velvet, and Trixie Vixen herself. Um, I mean, incredible naming, just yeah, so like, much fun. Yeah, like, what I mean, what I wanted to say was, I was expecting this might be based on our experience writing skin flick, um, <laughs> but like, I just wanted the names to be like so obviously bad, like things like you know, like Austin Powers names like Dixie Normus, a lot of vagina, stuff like that. <laughs> You know, it's funny because we don't. I don't think we ever actually get the name of the film that 
uh, Arturo is filming. No, I don't think we do um, either. It's just always referred to as his latest film or the film that's you know make or break for him. Yeah, and I feel like Jim made a, a, an effort not to be too dirty, not yeah. dirty, rude with this. Like Elizabeth Gunn's Raven Velvet, uh, Raven Velvet and Trixie Vixen are all pretty tame on the spectrum of porn names, but they are the the kind of they are still really fun and, and you know exactly what he's going for. Yeah. Um it's uh, it, it's interesting. Um I I think with it being on a porn set and stuff, it could have turned into smut so quickly. Um and I think he tried very hard to make it not that. Um which is really cool. And that actually brings us to the next bit, which is we get a really interesting segment where Harry talks about what it's like to be on a porn set. Um, and he's like, it's, it's actually hard work. There's a lot of like stopping and starting. Uh, there's not much like pleasure involved. It's a lot hmm. more like, being cut off in the middle of doing stuff and then like asking to ask to like start again or do the same thing, the exact same thing again. Um, and he's like, yeah, it's not that, um, it's not that sexy really. No, um, like, it, I don't know about you, but it reminded me a bit of, um, I can't remember the name of the series it's on, but Louis Theroux did a, uh, documentary where he was like basically on a, on a porn set as similar to Harry Dresden, I suppose. And it was kind mm. of like interviewing all like a bunch of actors, seeing like the day to day running of like that business and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think, I think he, ha- that's basically the conclusion he had. It's, it's kind of glamorized, like obviously within the industry as being like, Oh, all sexy, mysterious and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not, it's, just as unsexy as making an actual like non-porn related film i guess yeah um exactly um and i thought that was really interesting i I was wondering whether jim did some like research or went and interviewed some people or something (laughs) i imagine he probably did he might have just watched the episode of louis Farouk i just mentioned that might have been it he may have watched that (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that's uh i i thought that that was a really cool bit um and i and i felt like i was actually learning something i guess about the uh the industry um so um yeah i thought it was pretty cool Mm. uh so then we get to uh thomas and harry and I think actually one of the previous chapters ended with Harry saying, the next time I see Thomas, I'm going to punch him. Um, and he does. Yeah. Uh, which I just thought was like, like a, a fun little nod to a previous chapter. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's really funny because it goes from like um, deadly, this guy is, is the killer. I need to stop him or her. Uh, to oh it's Thomas oh well I still owe, owe him a punch uh, and like kind of like tussling almost like 
it's angry, but it's like friendly anger. Mm. Um, which uh, I thought was pretty, pretty cool, and it shows that their relationship, I think, is evolving more. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoy that, like, um, seeing them growing better, becoming better friends. Um, I, 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 like, it feels very Thomas and Harry at this point to be like that, to be, like, fighting and stuff. Um, Pickering. And then, yeah, it's really cool because you have this kind of tension release, right, where it's like, oh, there's a shadowy figure on set, tension. Dresden's uh, going after them, more tension. Uh, Dresden tackles them and reveals it's Thomas. Tension drops, uh, like funny moment, uh, tension drops further. Um, then the sound of a gun and Lara Wraith stood there about to kill both of them. Tension back up higher than before. Um, it's just like, that's there's something really cathartic about that that I like. Mm. Um and that kind of takes us to, to Lara, Thomas, and White Court politics. So, um, I guess the first thing, and it, it gets talked about more later in the book, um, so we'll probably talk about it a little bit more then, but, uh, man, Lord Wraith is just fucked. <laughs> I like, I, I just Go. like that this, this scene is, it, it gives you a nice little tease of what's to come. Like, you get a bit about Lord Wraith, uh, and that he's a sounds like a colossal dickhead, for one. But also, yeah, it's kind of implied that there's a bit of a power struggle within the White Court as well, with you know different clans, uh, other family members trying to step up to Lord Wraith and kind of take him out of the picture because they think he's weak. But then, you know, he he always comes out victorious at the same time. So it's a bit of a I know a bit of a. Uh, I don't know what to call it apart from like it's very Game of Thronesy. I guess. Yeah, like political intrigue kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like that as well. Um, I think, particularly um, the way that, like, there's a great bit where where uh, Thomas is like, uh, Lara, join me and we can take him down together, and she's like. If I join you, we'll end up dying together. Um, yeah. And uh, she's full on like, right, well, now that you've explained that your idea is to usurp father, possibly using the wizard, I'm going to have to kill you as well, or else father will kill us both. Um, I mean, man, that's, that is just... The level of power that you must have to do... to have people acting like that for you mm. is incredible. Uh, and Lara is, uh, no two ways about it, a incredibly strong-willed character in her yeah. own right. So for her to feel that way must mean something. Um, man, just wild. Um, the, the, so the bit that I, I was going to pull in on is that, like, yeah, Lord Wraith kills every male member of House Wraith. Um, and it's suggested that this is because he can't control them, which is to say that he uses his sexy vampire magic whammy on his own children. Yeah. And man, is that fucked up. 
Um, yeah, just just a bit. Yeah, um, it is uh, horrible, uh, and uh, we get we get kind of more of that as we go further in, um, uh, and it's kind of the the really icky part of the White Court, I guess, um, is that they will use like uh, sexual magic on each other, um, yeah. even when they are family. Um, and that is, I mean, you want to talk Game of Thrones? That's very Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we get the feeling that Lord Wraith is um, just a piece of shit, really, uh, and will do whatever he has to to maintain power. Um, and yet, uh, I I don't think it's explicitly said here, but he's been trying to kill Thomas. Uh, because Thomas is getting to a point, like when when Lord Wraith has male heirs, he's all right with them being around for a little while, uh, mm. because they can be like a a good pawn, uh, no pun intended, uh, in yeah. the uh, in the politics, uh, and they can manipulate people and manipulate uh, female members of other houses and, and other stuff like that. Uh, but if they start to get a little bit power hungry or a little bit too smart uh lord wraith makes sure that they are taken out of the picture very quickly uh and he's been trying to do that for some time now um and lara is aware that thomas is has got a target on him so thomas is trying to is trying to fight back um and his main way of fighting back seems to be Harry. Um, mm. And uh, he believes that Harry has some ability to push back against his father, uh, for which Lara kind of scoffs at and basically says, you've, got, you've not got a chance. Um, which, yeah. Um, I from, from where she is at this point in the story, I would uh, I would have the same reaction, I think. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, but really incredible. Um, so that's a really great setup. Uh, the other bit that I wanted to pull out there is uh, Scavis and Malvora, which are the two other houses that I mentioned of the White Court. Um, so... Uh, I'm just checking that what I'm about to say is right. Yeah, so a uh, really, really interesting thing about the White Court is that um, because we mostly see House Wraith, we tend to think of the White Court as just being uh, uh, motivated by like a sexual hunger. Mm. Um, but it's actually down to which house you're from. There are three main houses in the White Court. Uh, there's House Wraith, who are the ones that um, are able to feed off, like, lust. Uh, but there's also House Malvora, which uh, can subsist on fear uh, of their victims. So they like to incite terror. And then there's House Scavis, which feeds on despair and depression. Um, and in many cases, drive their victims to suicide. Um so 
there's this whole thing of like um it's kind of a good thing that house wraith are on top because yeah. out of three like house wraith aren't trying to make people feel negative emotions they're trying to make people feel horny and horny's not so bad <laughs> yeah, i mean out of the options i guess that's probably the best one yeah <laughs> I, I suppose... do you want to feel depressed afraid or horny <laughs> um i mean they, they it's going to sound really weird they all kind of go together as well, don't they? Like, they, yeah, I know what you mean. Le- being depressed leads to you being horny, you know. Not so sure <laughs> about being afraid. I've never personally felt that, but yeah. I would love it if we just heard of like one, like house rainbow or something that just loved people being happy. There's, there's got to be something like that around, surely. <laughs> and it was just like. Yeah, he couldn't exist in this world because there's just like not I enough mean, happiness or some shit like that. Surely it's like a Monsters Inc. situation where the vampires <laughs> are all like, "Oh yeah, depression is like the most potent emotion to feed on." No, it's sex. No, it's fear. And there's like one house who's like, "It's joy," and they just go around making people happy, making them laugh. You know. I'm just picturing a, a really different end to that, uh, to Monsters Inc., where they don't <laughs> discover laughter, but they discover that sex is the is like the power uh, of the of the world, and just start appearing in adult bedrooms in just full gimp suits. <laughs> I I mean that there's probably some kind of weird fucked up fan fiction like that. So I mean, yeah. Sully's kind of like a, a furry wet dream. So y- yeah, anyway. Def- yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So uh, we'll learn more about House Malvora and House Scavis. Uh, they do like um, they come up more uh, as uh, as we get like further into the series. But Jim Butcher has said that um, like House uh, Wraith are uh, unable to process true love. Uh, House Malvora. Uh, is unable to process feelings of courage, and House Scavis is unable to process feelings of hope. So Michael Carpenter would just destroy Malvora and Scavis. That <laughs> um, th- that would be a fight I'd enjoy, like him just like standing there and them all just burning. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> just like yeah. Everything's gonna be okay, and I was just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that then takes us to uh, a little check in with Inari. So, before Thomas is chased down by Harry, he overhears a conversation between Inari and her father uh, over the phone about Bobby, one of the porn, star- uh, porn stars on set, uh, and Inari is. Um, joking because her father is encouraging her to pursue Bobby uh, and this is uh, an important point for Inari uh, that we'll pick up on in later episodes um, but we do learn already that Inari is um, a member of House Wraith uh, she knows nothing about 
the magical world or her own bloodline, uh, as this is Lord Wraith's decree. Um, he believes that no member of his family, male or female, should know anything of the magical world uh, or of their vampirism uh, until they are uh, of age. Which is um, it's kind of wild, because uh, the more I think about it, especially later in the book, where we get more details about House Wraith, how hard must it be to hide what they are to their younger family members? I mean, it's got you. Surely you've got to suspect, you know. Because <laughs> it doesn't like going to school and just being like, oh. Do all your siblings have orgies every weekend? I mean, surely the fact that you're working on a porn set with some of your family members is a you know <laughs> isn't exactly a normal thing. Your your eldest sister's starring in it for crying out loud. Something's got to be uh you know setting up a few alarm bells. And and all the way through, your dad is totally cool with it. Yeah, being the weirdest part. <laughs> I mean. It, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what to say. Maybe she was raised in a weird way. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to learn then, more about it. But do we, do we know slash remember if what her life is like outside of the working on a porn set? Like, does she go to like a normal school or is she like homeschooled or something? Because. Obviously, she's met Bobby and all this kind of thing, but if she's interacted with other normal human teenagers and thinks that she's human and her family are not, you know, same similar, then surely, you know. She's, I don't know, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe not putting the, joining the dots up, but I do also get the feeling that um, Lord Wraith would have no problem using various... Um, vampire whammies to keep her like not questioning things. I mean, that's probably part of it. To be fair, yeah, I could see that more. Um, but it's very, it is very strange. Um, she must have had a very strange upbringing, I guess, in general. Um, so yeah, uh, Lara, um. Uh, and Thomas haven't told her anything, uh, and she's just like, oh my god, this is insane. Uh, and then we get to the end of chapter 16, and we kind of, this was kind of the first thing we talked about, um, just the, the triple threat of the Black Court, Lara, and the Entropy Curse um, is a great example of just Jim bringing everything together down at once. Um, uh, yeah, so it just feels really good how it all kind of comes together in that kind of like farcical climactic sort of way where it's like all these things all these strands um are all drawing together now at once and overloading dresden like any one thing he could deal with um i think it's a really good way to like up the ante and i think it's a really uh narratively satisfying way to do this uh what do you De think i mean i definitely agree and i think I mean, I'm of two minds when this ha when we stopped on this on this chapter, which is one, holy shit, the action is like just dropping on you at this point. But at the same time, because they're still on the set, 
and you've got all these different factions like converging on that place you're just kind of wondering you know, it kind of raises more questions like what are the white court actually doing what are the black court doing are the black court and white court in cahoots not really we don't we don't know um it, it just kind of raises so much more questions and i guess that's kind of how butcher reels you in it's not going to be as simple as there's a entropy curse on site there's a white court vampire there those two must be connected yeah there's all these kind of different factions at play and they have different feelings about each other and about dresden and about his allies and about mortals and it's like okay here's this like really juicy sandbox of things let's see how they all work together and combust um Mm. And yeah, I love it. Uh, I think that's that's really the power of Jim's writing there. Um, yeah, so what a great place to end and what an irresistible hook for next time when we are going to get into um, maybe one of the biggest reveals to date in the series, I believe is Ooh. coming up in our next episode. Oh, um, yeah. Can't wait. Um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it and what it means and um yeah really get into dresden's headspace um so uh yeah i think that's about it rob do you want to do you want to round us off yeah as always thank you for the support we're around 5900 downloads let's try and get it to 6000 by the end of the week um yeah check out our patreon it's linked in the description like we say, there's tons of goodies, there's tons of tears, there's, oh, there's there's some good stuff in there, and we're always working on new material, which, speaking of, we've got a, a very, very special bonus episode dropping uh, over the weekend, so, you know, join now, and uh, beat the hype, or whatever the saying is. Um, and also, share, follow, subscribe, we're on Twitter, we're on the Facebook, the Instagrams, you name it, we're probably there in some capacity. And next week uh-huh. we'll be reading chapters 17, 18, 19, and 20. Um, yeah, you've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.